Hello, I'm Gregor Thompson and welcome to my new podcast slash YouTube show, In Context. I'm obviously just sort of winging this because I'm not quite sure what I want to cover or who I want to talk to, but I'm thinking I'll explore a different topic each show. My main goal here is to provide a deeper context into these topics because I think we live in a very surface-orientated and headline-orientated world and I think we need more depth and context to fully understand something or someone. This won't just be me complaining for an hour, however, I'll have some conversations with more interesting people about the week's subject who can provide an expert's point of view. So this week's topic is obviously coronavirus or COVID-19. Now as of filming this, which is 11th of May, COVID-19 has killed just over 280,000 people worldwide, over 30,000 people in the UK and just over 1,800 in Scotland. These are devastating numbers and these numbers are even more tragic for the people who have unfortunately lost someone because of this. The hospitals here and worldwide have been overwhelmed by the number of people who need them and they, alongside care homes, have been hit the hardest with shortages of protective equipment. And to me, the amazing amount of charitable donations and fundraising that's taken place while they are inspiring to see, they show the whole world is incredibly unprepared for pandemics. Scientists from around the world for years have been warning the inevitability of a crisis like the one we're enduring now and our governments simply didn't take them seriously. Even Bill Gates predicted this. Even closer to their introduction of this pandemic, the UK government could see the increasingly devastating effects of COVID-19 in other European countries and still chose not to introduce restrictions. This also paints a scary picture of a future as increasingly sceptical of objective science. You will have to look at Donald Trump and his followers to see the extreme effects of this. Remember what he actually recommended doing as a cure. And then I see the disinfectant where it knocks it out in a minute, one minute. And is there a way we can do something like that uh, by injection inside or in the US Trump is allowing state governors to control their own restrictions and some are reopening an economy at the end of this week against the advice of scientists and basically anyone else who's considered an expert. This could show how these significant missteps could affect the death toll and the economy, which is ironic because those in charge are trying hard to protect and better the economy, but if they reopen too soon and the caseloads increase, they'll have to reintroduce restrictions and the economy will suffer even more as a result. I also want to talk about the media's handling of COVID-19. I'm constantly seeing people in hospital receiving treatments who explain their horrific experiences living with the virus, and I feel very much for these people and their loved ones, but the facts are, they're the minority regarding people who have contracted COVID-19. Most people develop mild symptoms or don't show any symptoms. I'm not saying we shouldn't be learning about the worst case scenarios, and I'm not saying these cases are not deeply disturbing. I'm saying we should be seeing people who had milder symptoms alongside those who experienced the worst. That's the true impartial picture of the virus, but a lot of focus on the people under 40 who have sadly died from COVID-19 as well. Yes, these are terrible to read or watch, but the percentage of people under 40 who have died from COVID-19 is extremely low. Again, I'm not saying these shouldn't appear in the news, but, but there's a, a considerable amount of focus on these deaths when they are extremely rare. And lastly, I want to talk about some context about our leaders right now and our track record so we don't make them the saviour of our nations for their handling of the coronavirus too soon, forgetting the crucial context of their past. First, I'll start with Nicola Sturgeon. In 2015, reports showed contradictions in SNP's assurances that they were improving health standards when, in reality, NHS Scotland was facing substantial problems with declining standards of patient care. This was put down to tightening budgets combined with rising costs. And let's not forget the SNP's handling of Scotland's extremely problematic drug use issues. The SNP have been in power for 10 years, more than 10 years. The deaths due to drug use in Scotland have continued growing, giving Scotland the highest amount of drug-related deaths in Europe. Scotland may have very low numbers of COVID-19 deaths, but we're definitely failing thousands of people in need who are dying needlessly. 
Now we all know Boris Johnson was unfortunately in hospital for COVID-19. Unfortunately he was given the all clear, but let's not forget his track record regarding the NHS. Remember this bus? Let's also not forget that the Prime Minister of Britain missed five coronavirus COVID meetings in the build-up to the crisis. He also praised the nurses who looked after him in hospital. One was from New Zealand and another from Portugal. The praise has been welcomed, as it should, but let's not forget Johnson's Secretary of State Priti Patel's proposed points-based system for immigration, which would stop thousands of immigrants from entering the country. The NHS's reliance on foreign nationals cannot be overstated. As of 2018, one in eight NHS workers were foreign nationals, and this would also stop many immigrants from joining the UK's caring professions, which are considered to be low-skilled according to this system. Luckily, experts, health leaders and trade unions have rounded on the government's new immigration policy, warning it will be an absolute disaster for social care services and put more pressure on the NHS. And let's not forget the Conservatives in general imposed 10 years of austerity which led to record shortages of nurses and beds. Now, it may be quite obvious to some people that Donald Trump's handling of the coronavirus has been, well, less than ideal, what with the whole disinfectant injection thing, denying science and, of course, this. But I think, I think, importantly, Anybody right now and yesterday, anybody that needs a test gets a test. We, they're there. They have the tests. And the tests are beautiful. So surely we'll look back on Donald Trump as the third president to be impeached, the coiner of new words, and the one who simply couldn't care less about the media's questioning. When, when this was mentioned to me, I said I was delighted that I get to have the vice president helping in this way. Delighted. Absolutely. Enough tonight. Now, since this week's topic is the coronavirus, I thought I'd interview the most important people during this crisis, the politicians. I'm just joking. It's the frontline workers, the ones who are saving our lives, helping the most vulnerable and going to work every day to make sure we are all safe. My first guest is a nurse for the NHS and what has become the epicentre of the COVID-19 in the UK, London. Where are you now? You're in London, right? Yeah, I'm in London. I'm living in, um, like, southwest London. Right. Um, and I'm guessing it's very stressful now because, well, that, I've, I've heard that that's the, the epicentre for the UK. What, London? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, London's the, like a major city, isn't it? And, like, on the global stage so mm -hmm. everything um everything's bigger in london so all our cases are bigger our sort of deaths and stuff like that are bigger um and people are reacting to it like it's not that big of a deal which is a lot of fun interesting um and why do you think it's worse in london and say not not as bad in say scotland um i think probably par partially to do with people's like lifestyle in london like mm -hmm. everyone's living on top of each other in terms of how the, the disease is spread, um, London's like the perfect place for it to, to spread. You know, you like before lockdown laws, you had people, like hundreds of thousands of people traveling on the um, underground every day, crammed into each other. Like there's no sense of um, personal space whilst you're traveling. So you're, uh, you're breathing everyone else's air all the time. Mm -hmm. So like, I think that's why we've been hit hardest with it. And also, one of the things that I've, I've noticed and I've, I've I kind of like, I'm, I'm working still. I'm sort of, my daily life hasn't changed a massive amount other than the fact that I, well, I say I don't do anything on my days off, but I never did because I'm a lazy. Really. <laughs> um, but like, it's not, it's changed, it's not changed that much for me, but it's changed a lot for, 
for Londoners and people sitting in their flats and that have nothing to do, there's, it's hard for them to get any time outside other than going on their exercise because so many people live in high rises and like flats and things like that. They've got nowhere to go. So the reaction to it initially was really good to be fair. Like the underground was absolutely um, abandoned. Um, but I think as soon as the government started making sort of moves to say, oh, we're going to start relaxing this, people have just taken that as a green light to come out and like just go back to normal, really. So do you think, so today, today's Sunday and we're supposed to get the announcement from Boris Johnson that where he's going to relax restrictions more. Is that, do you, is, do you is think that he's official? Shooting? No, well, he's, he's, he's having an announcement today. Um, hmm. But say like the media and stuff like that have been predicting that it's going to relax restrictions. Do you think he should? Um, no, because but I'm that's it's difficult for me to say because at the moment we aren't seeing as many cases coming through the hospital. But hmm. I know that if, like I say, if we start relaxing them and people just take that as a green light to come out straight away, then we're just going to grab we're just going to have another massive spike. We're going to have that second wave that people are talking about. And it's, it's going to be harder to then say, actually, we need to go, we need to roll this back up again and, you know, close down businesses, get everyone back in their homes. Um, I feel like until we're a hundred percent that we are sort of over the worst of it. Um, we need to keep at least some, something in, in place. I know that when, it, when everything opens back up again, they're not going to be like, that's it. Everyone out straight to the pub. Um, mm -hmm. But that's kind of what we're gearing up for because of how people have responded to the uh, the sort of rules so far. Um, as a department, we've we've like doubled our nursing staff for starting on Monday, um, just to get ready for the influx of people that think, oh, well, they're re relaxing these now, so I can go into hospital for that thing that I didn't think was that that important um, mm -hmm. last week. And people are going to go start seeing their mates and getting drunk and fighting and <laughs> stuff like that so we're gonna see a we're gonna we're, we're expecting to see like a spike in that as well so do you and with the original restriction how did you think the government handled with the original restrictions because i kind of i always thought that the restrictions were a bit too vague and some people yeah. could in a certain way and still go on with i think yeah i think they were quite vague to begin with and like a lot of questions were asked of how feasible they were as well and I think people didn't really respect the reason why and how severe things would be without it um, and like looking at how other countries have reacted to it when things have gotten bad I, I think our response has been sort of tepid um, there's not been any sort of there's not it feels like there hasn't been any enforcement of it um, so while the government said, you know, stay inside, stay two meters apart, there's no, ex there's no reason, there's no, other than the, the fact that, you know, you could spread the disease or you could catch the disease. There's no, there's been no incentive from the government to, to, to follow along to the rules, which is why people think that they're just kind of, they're more like guidelines. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned other countries, who, who do you see is handling it the best? Or the most uh, effectively, maybe, is a better word. South Korea. South Korea, um, of course. They, they actually learned, they had a 
outbreak of a similar virus, I think, last year or the year before, of um, SARS, which is um, like a, another respiratory infection. And they, the way they, they responded to that, to that outbreak was sort of fairly poor, but they learned from it and they developed these really, into, like, really advanced and complex systems that could help to signpost people to the best services and to keep them clear of places that might have an increased risk of catching it. So they set up like, um, they set up apps and things like that where when someone developed the disease, they would track where they'd been from there before that um, and then highlight that to people that, by the way, someone that has this has passed through these areas. If you mm-hmm. pass through these areas, let us know and we can, you know, catch, we can map the spread of, um, of, what's, of what's come in and we can sort of try and decide, catch people before they start showing symptoms. Um, and then would they... See, sorry, would you say with those apps, would you say they are effective enough um, in well, one, tracking the disease and also just fighting the disease? Because there's been a lot of um, kind of people scared about the whole privacy aspect of it. Do you think it's effective enough that we should give up that kind of... Um, I mean, look at, you know, how many, however many thousands of people have died from this. And, you know, there's always going to be the, the cry of, is, is this infringing on our rights? But, you know, 20,000 people have, have been, been killed. But is it 20,000? Well, we're close to 30,000 now in the UK. Yeah. Um, have been killed by this disease. And, you know, if you can't sacrifice a bit of monitoring where you're going, then... I feel like it's, it's, I, I, I personally think, yeah, sure. Why not? I, I've got nothing to hide. I, you know, I'm fine for people to watch me go to and from Tesco every day to get a meal deal. And, and they're happy to take that, um, that information, but you know, some people might not be happy with it. The South Korean government put it into, into place. I think they made it pretty much mandatory and, you can just look at their numbers, how how well they have responded to it and how low all their cases and um, deaths have been and mm. how quickly they sort of flatten their curve. Right. Um, and so you yourself, how are you finding quarantine at the moment? Are you, I'm guessing you're, since you're going to work every day, it, must, it mustn't be too different. Yeah, like I say, I'm still, I'm still working. I go to work. I work with an amazing team of people who I get on with really well. So I'm still essentially seeing my friends i'm still essentially you know doing the same job i was in a altered capacity but i'm still doing the same sort of things i was so fortunate i'm i feel very fortunate in that that i haven't had to alter my life like a massive amount um but yeah so i'm I'm kind of doing all right with it actually um the, the other aspect of it is of course what we're dealing with at work is you know really unprecedented it's quite um it's heartbreaking at times and it's also uh, quite close to home um because we know we've had some members of staff some members of the ambulance service that we know who have gotten sick and a couple of people who have you know passed away which kind of which affects everyone um because we're quite a close-knit team working in the a and e um, we go through a lot of stuff together and we, it, it sort of brings us together a lot. So when someone we know 
get sick, it kind of it affects us quite a lot. But again, we're such a good team that we're all supporting our, each other, and mm-hmm. um, and sort of keeping it, keeping ourselves going, which we kind of have to. We can well, There's not we don't really have the option of going. Actually, I don't really want to deal with this. Yeah, um, it's kind of uh, it's kind of our job. <laughs> and so what's where you're working now what's the ppe situation there are you do you have enough ppe or have you noticed any struggles with that we've had we've had struggles every now and then um but we've been on the whole our our matrons and our sort of senior senior staff have put in really clear guidelines on what we should be wearing and when we should be wearing it um and they've sort of they've sort of allocated the the proper like the best ppe that you can have which is obviously in the highest demand they've allocated it correctly to the right places to the right people and um so we've actually we've actually been okay um with ppe as far as i'm aware like that's just from me walking around the department and going oh i've never had an issue getting uh like a mask or anything like that whether or not that's a that's a hospital wide thing is is another matter, but we've we've been quite lucky with it, and we've like I said we've had the leadership that have from from the top down have been um, quite sensible with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I've mentioned in the intro was um, Pretty Patel's points based immigration plan that she introduced. Mm-hmm. I think it was just before. Um, lockdown and i was i was curious for, in your experience how significant foreign nationals were in the nhs because i, I did say that they, they were very significant but i mean i i don't know from your perspective foreign nationals are the absolute backbone of the nhs um if i if, if we if everyone that you know wasn't born and raised in the uk suddenly left the nhs we would have maybe like 10 percent of what we've got at the moment because that comes down to also like not just nurses doctors things like that but like radiographers porters um uh, cleaning kitchen staff everyone that works in the hospital on the on the whole it doesn't come from the uk um and i think um what with you know the, the brexit vote and how that sort of turned out people of people working in the nhs feel a sense of sort of not dread, but like, where do I go? Where am I? Where do I fit into this whole system now? Because I, you know, have worked here. I've, you know, put in my hours, and now I'm my future is sort of up in the air. Um, so I think like I I struggle with any sort of increase in immigration control because the more people that we we can have in and the the, the amazing people that that do come here. Um, the better our country is at the moment, especially in this in this um, pandemic. If we if we had somehow, you know, work is now if we just kicked everyone out again, we we'd have had it would have been a completely different story. It would have been chaos. Mm-hmm. Uh, are you watching? Um, well, are you watching much news at the moment? Um, I try to steer terms. clear of it a little bit, um, mostly because. I, it's it's kind of like why I don't watch 24 hours in A&E because I go to work and I deal with this stuff and then I come home and I kind of don't want to think about it anymore. Right. Um, so I like, I try and keep up to date with the, um, the main sort of headlines and 
as much as I can, I try and um, pop into the daily briefings. But um, for the most part, I'm just kind of happy to deal with what comes in the front door. Right. And from from what you see on the news, do you, how do you think it's being handled? Um, I think it's in terms of in terms of what. Um, well, well, some of the things I said in the intro in my intro were because I'm watching the news like every day and I'm reading I'm reading it and watching the TV news and the press briefings and stuff. And the thing that I've noticed is there's been a lot of attention on um, the people the people under forty who have died. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's hard there's 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 a lot of focus on that and there's less focus on well um, people who have maybe experienced milder symptoms and um there's less focus on the fact that people under 40 who have died are very, it's very small numbers in yeah, comparison they, numbers. yeah they, they totally are um kind of outliers the majority of people that we're seeing coming in with it is, is people in their later life um especially those who are coming in with bad cases of it they are um people again that are coming into it later in life it's not it's not unheard of that we're seeing um younger people with it they are having you sort of on the whole milder um symptoms but yeah there are outliers that sort of catch you up nowhere there where you know you might have a young fit rugby player or something who's randomly just catches it and gets really really sick with it um do you have any idea why why that is for someone to be fit with no health conditions or anything like that no idea no idea it seems to be a completely arbitrary disease that kind of just picks on that'll pick on someone and and Mm. decide actually you're going to get it really bad and like i think not a lot has been said about how many people have had it and gotten over it because Mm -hmm. So many people have. So many NHS workers have had it, self-isolated, and you know had a fever or had a cough or or been pretty much fine with it. I mean, most people. I think it's something like forty percent of cases um, will go asymptomatic. Mm-hmm. So the number of people that are having it, getting over it, and sort of getting back um, to normal life is probably not quite talked about as much. But I think. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that's a terrible thing that we're not sort of saying oh it's fine some people are getting over it fine because people need to understand the gravity of of the situation um so without being sort of dishonest i think making uh, keeping people abreast of how bad it can be is probably not a bad idea right okay um and how how do you feel about the clapping for the nhs is that um is that does that feel good for you uh, so the clapping for the NHS thing is a funny one because I personally, and I don't want my feelings on the matter to affect someone's case, to affect like how someone responds to it. But initially, I hated it. <laughs> um, and I hated it because it, it just felt like a bit of an empty gesture. Not from the general public. I love the fact that the general public are, you know, getting out and being, you know, thank you, they are saying thank you. Um, but it just felt like an incredibly empty gesture from people who haven't supported the NHS in the past. Right. Um, and it felt a little bit, a bit, well, I'll say a little bit, it was very contrived and it felt a little bit like, uh, like they were sort of not talking down, but just not 
not not um honest um and i i told my mum this and she was like oh that's fine and then she t- she texted me the next week and was like by the way i'm not clapping this week and i was like no no, no i don't want you to, i don't want that to be your thing because she had said to me oh i like getting out and you know seeing my neighbors and having this community feeling and i was like that's fine go out clap get get in, uh, a part of it i just i think people forget you know how what we're actually dealing with and um and sort of who these these gestures are coming from um can be a bit of a it just feels like a bit of a slap in the face from people who have you know stopped us from getting more nurses through students receiving bursaries or or pay tuition or um raising um the the, the wages for for nurses it's it's it feels like a bit of an empty gesture but like I say I'm happy for people to do it and it is like it's nice to see the videos of people enjoying themselves other than the fact that the other day uh, I think it was uh, London Bridge was just teeming with people face to face all clapping around I'm uh, like, you're, you're, you're forgetting the point yeah, you're making of why it we're <laughs> yeah what we're doing um, that can feel a bit frustrating as well but but like I'm, I'm happy for people to do it but I, I for the people that are doing it insincere in an insincere manner i i don't appreciate it right and um, well going on to that um another thing that i've been looking at was there's a bit there's been a lot of fundraising for the nhs and a lot of mm. stuff like that um while it's it's like amazing to see i i just can't help but think that we that the fact that we need so many people to fundraise yeah so how do, how do you think that looks i mean we laugh all the time i've not laughed but I, I find it bizarre that, you know, like in the US, people do GoFundMes constantly for health things. And I think about that and I, and I think, oh, that's, that's terrible. And then I see us having to do, you know, all these fundraisers to get um, stuff together for our, for our NHS. And I see a sort of similarities. It is like, it's nice. It's, again, it's, it's a similar sort of thing with the clap where it's like, I appreciate what people are doing for the NHS, but it shouldn't be necessary in the first place. Um, we have we have the resources within this country to to look after our NHS, to look after the the, the people that 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 need it, and um, the fact that we're relying on you know big businesses, footballers, celebrities to chip in is kind of um, yeah, it's not uh, it's not an ideal situation. Um, we we've been really lucky in our department. Um, with the Meals for NHS charity as well. Um, being that we're an A&E department, we get, we're obviously right on the front lines and we're essentially a front door to the hospital for a lot of people. Um, so we get a lot of sort of donations and things like that. And those things are really, really touching. Um, we get a lot of, you know, small businesses that have stock of stuff that they're not using and they think, fuck it, we'll just, sorry, uh, um, we'll just... Uh, uh, we'll 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 cook a batch of of curries and stuff stuff like that and bring it in and we get loads of that and it's that that's the sort of thing which is is really sweet. Um, mm. But yeah, the fact that we're that we're fundraising to, to prop up the NHS is kind of less than ideal. And it kind of it it feels like you know when this happens again, are we going to get the same response? And mm-hmm. if we don't, what's that then going to look like? Um, sort of further down the line, is this is this need for uh, charitable organizations to to be the the fourth leg of the nhs can they um can they do that 
in a, in a long-term basis, which is a bit scary. Well, that's, that's the other thing I was, I was reading a lot is that scientists and experts were warning of something like this happening, not, not specifically COVID-19, but like, like a pandemic mm-hmm. on the, it just, the, like, well, not, well, basically worldwide, it just, we just seemed like we weren't prepared at all. No countries. Um, yeah, I think, I think with, with, like I said, with the way like Londoners live, we're a hotbed for an infection to come by. So it was, it, in a way, it was only a matter of time. And the, the one thing that I hope that we can get out of this is a change in sort of the social setup of, of sort of major cities where we can focus less on, you know, getting the most out of every person and getting, you know, 100% efficiency at the cost of safety and, and security. Um, and maybe becoming a bit more of a, a, a longer term thinking sort of community. Um, because yeah, this this does feel like something that was bound to happen, and it feels like this kind of thing as well that we've planned for, but we've planned for in a way that says that when it actually happens, that plan is just not feasible. Um, it's like well, this is this is what we'll do, this is how we'll respond to it, but that's in a, like a completely perfect situation, and we very rarely live in any perfect um, situations. And there's also in the news there's been a lot of focus recently on the impact it's had on care homes it wasn't like that to start though that, that mm. kind of, and it wasn't focused on at all and it was only it was only like it was a surprise that so many people were dying in care homes mm. um, so how how important do you see say carers and people um caring for vulnerable people in relation to the nhs do, does it does it do they help stave off some of the cases that you take on they are massively important because of the um, the demographic of people that are that are mo- that are worst affected by it. They are the they are the actual front line of of the response to this disease because you know people living in care homes are in care homes for a reason. They're mm-hmm. old or they're um, vulnerable. They've got comorbidities. Um, they are the perfect. Um, candidates to catch the disease and to be affected by it badly um, so I think I think the issue to begin with was that they were ignored by the the government in a way they were sort of not rep- the fact that they weren't reported in the numbers or they weren't um, they weren't as, as much of a focus in the daily briefings is a real tragedy because the numbers that we were getting were not even were barely a fraction of, of the actual um, deaths that we were getting because they weren't reporting on, on all these um, care homes. And the carers that are there are working with some of the sickest people on a daily basis and sickest people that have plans to, to not have further um, interventions or treatment. So they're working with people that are always unwell but that they know are have a have a good chance of, of not making it through a flu season or a global pandemic, um, depending on which which end of the scale they're um, they're working with. Right, um, and so through lockdown, do you have you had any realizations or like epiphanies or anything you've kind of realized about your life that you wouldn't have noticed before? Um, sort of, I mean, 
it's it's just put a whole like my daily existence into a into a into a different sort of light. I kind of have been happy just doing my doing doing my thing and you know getting to do 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 the things that I love you know when I get a chance to. I'm you know sort of realizing how how quickly this has come a, come a, come about and how like you say arbitrary it's been as to who it's affected badly um kind of makes you kind of sit up and think actually this could uh, this could end any day and i would have no way of knowing it's coming and i would i would miss a lot of the things that i've that i wanted to do so i think the the main thing that's made me realize is that is life is short and life is precious and i want to do something more with it um mm. I, like i said i love what i do and i um I, I love the people i work with but i i've still got more stuff to do in my life before i'm ready to sort of settle down so it's kind of made me realize it's it, i want to go see the world i want to go you know experience more things before the next global pandemic um mm-hmm. or the next um well the next year basically i want to get out and 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 see the world again um so yeah that's the main thing that it's kind of made me realize i've got to get i've got to do stuff with my life whilst uh whilst i've got the chance because something like this can come along and totally screw everything up yeah, yeah. what about you have you had a, have you had any major sort of realizations um so i noticed just because i'm i'm lucky that i'm able to just sit in the house and do nothing um mm. Well, not do nothing. I'm trying. To, I'm trying to stay busy, but I've I've kind of noticed that for like the last few years, it's been it's almost been like I've just been moving through life without any conscious thought. It's just and then and then now having this kind of it's almost like a reset where I've been able to kind of mm. um, think properly about where my life is now and where I want it to go. And that's why I've I've started. I've, I thought this it would be the best idea just to start this now mm-hmm. and just pick it up as I go along because I I hadn't had a name for this yet or even what what it was like covering so it's made me think um that i should probably get started on stuff like this kind of mm. career career stuff like like i made a website and i'm starting this so it's given, it's I, think given that, to... I think a lot of people will have that sort of that sort of realization as well yeah um, because it's such an unprecedented sort of scenario and there's something to happen on such a, a massive scale um, yeah, I think I think you're not the only one that's going to be having a look and taking stock and figuring out what they want to do. There's also I, I'm even I'm even trying I'm trying to look at um, the life I've got in like grateful turns because like you were saying about people in high rise flats, I'm lucky enough that I'm in a house where I've got a garden out back where I can sit there mm. if it's funny, um, and stuff like that. So it's I'm I'm still taking stock of how lucky I am in the situation. Mm. Well. Um, so what how do you see well maybe not how do you see how do do you have any ideas of what would be best for easing restrictions because there's been ideas of younger people being allowed out first um stuff at pubs where people are only allowed two drinks and then you have to move along yeah it's difficult you know because you, you don't i think when people are ready to be let out they need to be given the not the freedom but the they need to be given the trust to to still take things seriously um so that's why i say like until we are 100 percent sure that we're over the worst of it and that we are um protecting people against um 
sort of a second wave, uh, then I think, you know, the lockdown should be sort of kept on for a little bit longer. Um, with regards to, you know, easing it, I think major, I think we don't, just, like I said, we don't just go from this to life back to normal. I think um, people need to continue working from home for a while. I think, you know, pubs, clubs, things like that, unfortunately, should probably stay closed for a little bit longer. Um, our, our main, our, one of the biggest um, uh, sort of worries and frust not frustrations, like one of the biggest things that people have been nervous about that I've been working with is the, is the lockdown easing. Um, because we, like we were saying, we would feel like people are just going to go out and rightly so they're going to go out and enjoy themselves and see their friends and, you know, in like start enjoying their lives again. And I wouldn't want to take that away from anyone, but I would want to say, you know, we need to remember that this isn't, this is a fluid situation. This isn't just going to, once we've e-locked down, this isn't the end of coronavirus. It could come, it can come back and it could, the second wave could be, you know, could be nothing, could be huge and people need to be prepared for either sort of eventuality. So I think easing is, is the right word rather than ending. Easing is definitely the word to sort of slow, slowly let people out. I think, again, it was, it was difficult during, especially in London, during the lockdown laws for, for people to say, for the government to have shut parks and sort of public spaces because Again, people don't, not everyone has um, somewhere that they can go out and, and get outside for a little bit of exercise. Um, I would have loved to have seen the parks closed because when I walk around London at the moment and I see them teeming with people who are, you know, not observing two meter rules or not wearing any sort of protective um, masks or anything like that, it can be quite disheartening. But I think that choosing, like easing the easing the lockdown would is the yeah is is the key thing is that we don't just sort of drop drop straight out of this and into back to normal life. Mm -hmm. And speaking of speaking of masks, do you think the government should be so the Scottish government have been recommending that people wear masks if going out to the shops? Mm -hmm. Do you think the UK government should be doing the same? Because uh, my worry was taken if people end up buying. Um, like PPE, it's taking that away from the NHS. So I've, I've yeah, it's it's a difficult one because we we want, we both want to shield people in the community and we want to provide stuff for the NHS. And I think having seeing people out wearing masks, it kind of makes me feel a bit better because you know I see them taking it seriously and I see them, you know shielding each other and the, the the rate of transmission when someone's just wearing a simple face mask is like drops off massively um so I, I think the government should be you know recommending this and maybe private sources should be the only places that they should be able to get them from but i think um the main thing that the most frustrating thing that we have been seeing and i don't know what this what it's like in edinburgh but we, I've seen so many people with masks around their chins, around their heads. Um, and that's, that's the one that, that, that frustrates me the most because that is a waste. Um, I would never see someone having a mask and going out to do their shop or to get a bit of exercise with a mask on as a waste because it's doing the job that it, it needs to do. But when someone's 
you know, walking around with a mask, you know, hanging off their ear or in their back pocket, then I do see that as, a, as just a complete waste. And so it's kind of like, it's finding that balance of providing things to, you know, fight the, fight these disease, not only in hospitals, but in the community as well. And also making sure people are using it properly and, and not um, sort of, yeah, wasting it really. Mm. Why, why do you think at this so at the start, um, when COVID-19 was being talked about, people, people were saying the masks didn't do anything, like it wasn't going to stop, it wasn't going to stop them at all. And now it's, it's like, like everyone, there's no saying that they, we should be wearing them. Um, I think, well, I think to begin with, there wasn't enough data um, because this is a, a new, new sort of disease that we're dealing with. It's difficult to gather any sort of reasonable data on 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 what the on what the transmission and on how it's transmitted and how, at what prevalence it's transmitted from person to person. Um, and I think you know if you said to everyone, oh, you should wear a mask, everyone would go out and buy a mask, and we'd have massive PPE shortages. So until you can say wearing a mask. 100% will definitely, you know, reduce your the rate of transmission. Um, then I think it's fair to say we need these in the in the hospital where you know the sickest people are and the people that are dealing with it the most are. Um, then yeah, it's fair for us to sort of want to divert those. But once we once we have data to say actually the rate of transmission can drop by you know factors of ten tens of percent, um, then then yeah, I think people should be allowed to to be wearing masks and should be sort of encouraged. Mm -hmm. And so, what we'll just finish on is what advice would you give um, members of the public at the moment? Um, take it seriously. Um, Recognise it as the as, as as the alien situation that it is, um, and how looking at how much of the world it's affected you need to yeah take it seriously and understand that this is not the end um this is going to be a fluid situation that's going to that's going to ebb and flow and it's going to um it's probably going to come back next year and it's you know we just we don't know yet what the how severe it's going to be when it when it when it does eventually come back um so yeah take it seriously and just keep clapping as well if you love it <laughs> okay thank you very much for joining me i imagine your days off are very precious so i'll let you get oh, I mean, i'm just i'm just sleeping and watching netflix mostly <laughs> that's important though yeah yeah, yeah. Well, you need your, you need your r and r don't you <laughs> my next guest is a mental health recovery worker a vitally important role especially at this time we're all struggling in some way not being able to see friends and family but for someone who was already severely struggling it must be extremely difficult during this crisis so having these workers in place also saves lives alongside the NHS. So here's my conversation with Ross Murray. Um, so thanks so much for doing this. I imagine your free time is really valuable now. Yeah, it's all right. It's all good. Quite happy to do it. So, what, um, so first of all, what in general, what does your job involve out with like, COVID-19 just in general? So my role, I am a mental health uh, recovery worker. So I help um, people who suffer from mental illness uh, kind of get back into the, the normal everyday, their normal everyday life. Normally I work with people who um, come out of the hospital and kind of need that wee bit more help to, you know, to live by themselves or wee things like that seem so 
so small to us, but it's such a big part of them living a, a valuable life outside in the community. So basically I work with uh, individuals from, you know, 20s to 70s. So it really ranges, but uh, yeah, it's a really, really satisfying job to do. And how has COVID-19 changed your work? Um, well, it's quite difficult because uh, keeping a distance from everyone is is a big big issue. I mean, ultimately, the job that I do is to try and get people out and about and in their communities and meet new people. So mm. this is really kind of the opposite of what I'm used to doing. So it's made it really difficult to, you know, to try and get them, get people involved in their communities and, and kind of progress. But, you know, we keep chipping away and there's still, still stuff we can do so that, that people can, can find value in their life. Yeah. How how are the so the people that you um, are helping? How how are they coping um, with COVID nineteen? Uh, I think it's I think everyone's kind of the same. I think they I don't think anyone really understands what we should be doing. Uh, I don't know if uh, I mean government guidelines are all a bit over the place. At least Scotland's a wee bit more structured. But but overall, I mean it's all about up in the air. I mean we know what we should be doing. And we try and try and encourage the people that we support to be following these guidelines. But ultimately, if like the importance of going out for a, a little walk around the block is, is what we're really encouraging, because it's so important for people's mental health to be able to get out and get sunlight and even, you know, see a different room um, is just so important. So we're really trying to encourage that. Ultimately, our role is really to uh, balance up this, the options, like is, is the risk of getting the virus compared to their mental health decline. So we need to find a balance in, in that and encourage them to do what's right for them, ultimately keeping them safe as well. Uh, well, you mentioned the government there. How do you think, well, we'll start with Scottish. How do you think the Scottish government have been handling it? Really well, actually. Really well. Um, I'm quite glad to see that politics has kind of stayed, as well, so far has stayed out of it. And we're just, I, I feel that, you know, the Scottish government has done a really good job at, keep making making clear what we should be doing and it really seems like they are not putting the economy first and they're putting people's lives and safety first which is really great to see and have, it's good to have confidence in our government which is which is rare to say <laughs> and what about so what about the uk then is there a difference well i mean yesterday was just the first of boris coming out and changing the new rules um their new slogan is I feel it's ambiguous what's you know just interpret as you will uh, mm. and I feel like it's not really it, it's, it looks like it's it's the way it reads is that they are no longer accountable you know uh, be aware of whatever the safety thing is uh, but that's like putting it on putting it on us as it, or the English people as a as them they can decide if they if they ultimately get the virus then it's their fault they weren't alert or whatever it is so the, yeah, yeah. the clear goals that set out initially was i think we should have kept that right till right till the end and what about um ppe are you, are you using that um where you work yeah. has there been shortages there uh, no we've actually been really lucky we've always had access uh, to the PPE that we need, we go out and give medication to people. Uh, so it's you know it's, you're really close close uh, proximity to each other. So it's really important for them to not be exposed to us if we've uh, you know been in contact with anyone. So it's really important for both parties to have that uh, PPE in place. And luckily, um, 
the charity that I work for has no issues with PPE, so it's been that's been a wee bit of a uh, less stressful situation because I know that a lot of people have been struggling to get it initially right at the start uh, with PPE not being available or being out of date or whatever. But we've we've been really lucky to have it when we needed it. Good. Um, so what about what are the main difficulties in your work at the moment? Is it is it just trying to keep social distancing or not being able to go out with any people as much? Yeah. Well, that's that's the big thing. I mean, the biggest difficulty we're finding is ultimately, as a recovery worker, I work with people to help them recover. A big part is going out in the community and doing, you know, going out for coffee or going out for a meal or, you know, wee things, going to the cinema. All, all these things have stopped. So the thing that we've been chipping away at, encouraging uh, individuals to, you know, do other things, get involved with community groups, uh, ultimately to try and get them into their own flat and living independently has all been put on hold. So our role has kind of changed in the fact that we're not trying to, or we're obviously trying to progress them, but um, it's not so much involving them in other things, but it's to make sure that their mental health is still on track. When this is all over, we don't want to see a, a decline in people's mental health because ultimately we've, we've failed at our job. So we have to balance up between uh, the virus and what we can still encourage people to do and uh, really really trying to avoid their mental health declining. Mm -hmm. um, and have you been watching the news at all or paying attention to it? I've been watching the big big announcements and I watched it quite a lot at the start but it's new information every day you know it's just it's, it gets too much I mean we need to have a break from it mm -hmm. it's not healthy that's the big thing about Nowadays, our culture is, you know, we're seeing our social media, we've got the tele on, we've got every, every access we can, we can access anything, I click a click a button. And maybe 20, 30 years ago, you know, this, it wouldn't, well, it wouldn't have been like that. So it's a different type of world to have a pandemic in. Uh, so, yes, I think it's easy just to constantly going to be checking Facebook or Twitter or news profiles or anything. Uh, and it's, it's, I don't think it's healthy. To be checking it constantly so i've been you know keeping up to the dates but not going overboard with different information yeah why why do you think it's not um healthy to keep looking at the news especially at the moment i mean it's just any type of information that's that's constantly changed i mean it's a pandemic you know we've never seen anything like this before so our our anxiety levels and our, we're all scared i mean it's a, not a normal thing so to be constantly checking that and reinforcing that in your head like oh we're it's a scary thing we're scared uh it's really i think it's healthy to take a break from it obviously check up you know do your research and under, try and understand the best you can but uh not to overwhelm yourself and, and worry because there's nothing we can do about it it's only we only can do what we can do personally so try to kind of almost forget about the big picture all the time and focus on kind of focus on ourselves. And do you, do you think at the start there was there wasn't enough focus on the caring professions and a lot of the focus was on the NHS as it should be somewhat but do you think there wasn't enough focus on caring professions and even still like in like your your profession I still I hardly ever see anything in the news about um, mental health or anything like that. So do you think do you think there's not enough focus there? Absolutely, but I mean it's the same when there's no pandemic. There's not enough focus on uh, charities that do kind of the social side of of any health. You know the importance of going out or to you know interact with other people. But um, I think you know the NHS should be the focus. 
it's right at the top. It's the most important thing, absolutely. Um, but when you think, once people are out of the the scenario of of getting the help that they needed, you know, there's all these all these um, other conditions that people have and mental illnesses is you know just one. Um, so I think people should remember that although this is a massive pandemic, all these things are happening underneath that have haven't just gone away since the pandemic. You know, people are still struggling um, with whatever whatever issues it is. Uh, so yeah, I think possibly that could be the case that you know there's not been enough focus, but I think ultimately at the moment it's it's really about keeping keeping people safe in the NHS and keeping nurses and doctors and everyone safe. That should be the focus. And with and with your profession, how do you see the future? So when lockdown starts to ease, do you see any change in your profession? Because obviously the social distancing will have to continue. But yeah, um. I think it will be a lot better when this is this is all over for 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 people who struggle with their mental health because the impact of them, uh, you know, going for a simple thing is going out for a juice or a coffee or a wee cake or something. They, you know, as support workers or whatever profession, they might be the only, we might be the only people that they see. So we're we're rely they're relying on us. To get them out of the house and you know see see a different a different scenery for one day instead of the four walls or whatever their their situation is, um, but absolutely I think it's it's really really important for them to to be able to get out and about and you know the big thing that I've seen is a lot of people have been scared to leave even just to go to the shop or just to go out for a walk. We just trying to be saying you know at the moment in Scotland well I mean you can exercise as much as you want from now. Now on Nicholas Sturgeon has said, but beforehand, people were scared to go to the shop or go out for a walk. Um, but that's just so important that we were saying, if you need to go out for a walk, take a walk. Your mental health is 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 important to keep on top of it and be aware and and your well-being is really important. So, yeah, I think really, once this is all over, we'll see a, a dramatic impact on the fact that people really appreciate being able to go out and about and interact with people. Mm-hmm. And do you, do you think um, people with mental health issues, do you think the news perhaps has that negative effect where they feel they can't go out because it, it looks, what's the word, it looks very negative from if you're watching it from the news's perspective? And do you think it might have more of an impact on someone not wanting to go out because of that? Yeah, I've seen, yeah absolutely. I've seen people are scared because of the guidelines to to leave their house. I mean, it's understandable. People, it's uh, we have to be aware of what we're doing, where we're going, what we're touching, stuff that we've never had to really think about before. Um, and I, I think if someone has a vulnerability about, you know, something like anxiety or depression that that they struggle already to go out and to even to go to the shop is such a massive thing to them. If they're hearing all this news. I mean, it must just be so overwhelming for them. Yes, yeah, so absolutely. I, I think that is a big, a big point. And with the clapping for for um, frontline workers, do you does that make you feel good? Do you do you, do you like seeing that? Uh, I think it's. I mean, I must admit, the first time I saw it, it was it was quite nice. Um, and I still get a wee shiver every time I hear it because I think, well, yeah, we are really appreciating um, the nurses and doctors and people in the front line. Um, but then you see stuff like what happens on London Bridge, and you think, well, what's the point? You know, everyone's you're clapping, but you're doing exactly what's causing the problem. So it's 
I mean, it's, I think it's a nice thing. I think everyone uh, has good intentions towards it, but then you know it kind of kind of shoots itself in the foot when you see stuff like yeah. that. But yeah, I think it has good intentions. Yeah. Are you are you hopeful that after this there will be more focus, more funding um, for NHS and um, carers and people and p- people in your profession? Are you hopeful that that will change? after this when people realise the importance of yeah. those professions? Well, you've got to hope. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I really hope so. I think that there'll be a lot more um, a lot more funding towards PPE because that was a big disaster right at the start, I think. And probably still is, you know, we don't hear everything. Um, yeah. But it would be great to see government's response to realise that that these, you know, care professions, social work, you know, are hold a vital part in our society, and it's not just, you know, it's it's the, it's kind of us us frontline workers that have been keeping this country ticking over and stuff, and it's not the bankers, and it's not the big big people in the economy that are, you know, keeping the wee things, like you know, big men. We're all we're all kind of working together, but it's all the frontline workers that aren't on the big the big huge wages. So I'm hoping that you know, government kind of take that into account and, and, you know, put the funding where, where it's really needed. Mm. And so what, what advice would you give um, general members, members of the public right now for like mental health or just um, in general for COVID-19 in the next few weeks? Well, I'd, I'd probably say be mindful and realise that this isn't going to last forever. Um, put yourself first. You know, it's, 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 it's really important to, to think that, um, think about yourself and think about your your mind and your head, and don't be scared that you know you've seen all these things that if you don't come out locked down with a six pack you failed. There's no excuse or whatever it is. Think about yourself. Your you know your mind is, is as important as your physical health. So bear your mental health in mind. Um, you know if you even you know take take ten minutes to to go and sit and sit outside and, and reflect on your day or whatever it is, whatever it may be. Um, do something good for yourself, and and, uh, and don't be don't be seeing what you're seeing on social media about you should be doing this or whatever. Just you be a bit selfish in this time because we all have to be. It's not a normal scenario, so we all have to be a bit look laugh look after ourselves. Yeah, and uh, what, what do you miss most about normal life before lockdown? A pint. A pint. <laughs> <laughs> no, I just yeah. I think it's just again it's the social side of of seeing people. I mean. My, I've, I've not really seen my family at all. Um, I mean, from a distance and stuff, but it's not they're not the same. Uh, yeah. And even going out and socialising and doing stuff, you've that. I mean, you you don't realise how much of an impact that has on your life. Even seeing your friends and how you know if you're having a, a really shitty day and you go and see your yeah. friend or whatever, you you realise that it's oh that's that's really cheered me up and that's not been able to happen. So I think it's that um, being able to rely on other people's company and. And affection like that is—I think that's what I've missed the most. I suppose that—that's that'll be the silver lining of it, though, because that means when we come out of lockdown, we'll appreciate those things more. Maybe we weren't conscious of that beforehand. Absolutely. Um, I think we'll all see a, a good, a good, um, a good outcome to this. I think we'll realise the the importance of meeting meeting up with our friends and and doing that wee bit extra, um, because we've seen what it's like without it, and we see what we're we're missing. So I, th- I hope that's the outcome of it. And lastly, have you have you had any realizations or epiphanies about about like like that about about your life um, through this lockdown? Have you have you noticed anything that you hadn't noticed before? 
really just the fragility of, of our lives. You know, everything can come just a come to a standstill, which no one would ever expect. I, th- I think the biggest thing is that the realization that how how you know how much of an impact this has had. This is it's never big companies don't close unless there's a big issue. You know what I mean? They're not going to lose money, stuff like that. So it's really that's really shocked me. You know the import like the the, the you know how big this this has been. And you know when we look back and look back at it, we'll try and find the positives in it and realize that kind of people did come together a wee bit. Um, and although we couldn't see each other face to face, everyone kind of it's, it feels a wee bit different. You know, people are looking after each other a wee bit more. Uh, so I hope that's what we look back and, and see this this time as. Well, that's a good good point to leave it at. So thank you very much for your time. That's all right, my man. Um, right. Take care, and hopefully. We'll see each other soon. Yes, look after yourself. My last guest is Johnny Thompson, who is a customer assistant at a supermarket. The people are working now to provide us with food and other important items are somewhat overlooked, but are very significant at this time and deserve praise alongside the NHS and carers. So here's Johnny Thompson. Right, so what, what's, your, what's your job? What's your job at the moment like? How has it changed? Oh, um, originally I was a foods customer assistant. Um, but because I have asthma, um, when this all started, I obviously flagged that up as a concern just because of the amount of customers. So then I got told I could work in the backstage area, so like unloading the delivery vans um, and such, and then like bringing stock to, into the floor and stuff just so I'm away from the customers. Um, then I went on holiday for three weeks um, in the midst of this, so... Uh, um, came back and then um, they'd furloughed a ton of staff. So, I mean, I ended up, now I, now I just man the doors so I control how many people get in the building at once, tell them to follow the one-way system as well. So, like, the shop only is open, it's a two-floor shop, so now it's only open on one floor. Um, there's a one-way system around the food hall, only a certain number of tills open at a time, and it's like a, you're allowed 30 in at a time. So it's like one in, one out um, as well. So it has changed quite a bit. You have to clean all the trolleys and baskets as well. So, yes. And what about um, protective equipment? Are you using anything like face coverings or masks or the visor things? So we got given visors, um, which I didn't use originally at first because we were pretty quiet. Um, And I was still backstage quite a lot then. But since I've gone on the doors and since um, there's been like... um, contrasting information about lockdowns um, I can't really trust who's coming in the shop anymore so I mean uh, so I wear it all the time now the mask and then um, I have rubber gloves which I've got from home but we've got them provided as well there's like cleaning the hand gel for all the tills um, and solution stuff for the baskets to be wiped down with as well and the trolleys. Are the customers generally adhering to the rules you find? Some I never really see it, but I hear about it a lot. Um, so it is hard following the one-way system, like especially if it's your first time in. Um, like I even struggle sometimes. Like when I'm getting shopping after my shift, and then um, but like some customers really don't care and just walk right up to other people and stuff. And mm. generally speaking, customers have been arguing with each other more so than staff. Like a lot of customers are pretty accepting and understand like why the measures are in place it's a safety point of view 
So mm. from that point of view, everyone's been quite nice, but I've been informed about customers arguing with each other. And so like I shouting about the whole situation as well. I'm sure there was some instance of racist customers once as well. So um, just kicking off about it all. So I mean, obviously you could argue it's people being a bit more anxious than usual, but like, Still, and how do you think the government, well we'll start with Scottish government, how do you think the Scottish government um, are dealing with it? Um, yeah, better. Um, I think it's different. I like living in Scotland right now because there are less cases and stuff, um, particularly in Fife where I live and work, so um, I feel like the fact that there's still being told to stay at home right now is good. Um, I think that um, I, the measures that were put in place were good. She seems to have acted faster than the UK in a sense, but not fast enough in some aspects. So it should have been happening ages ago. So, mm. um, But given what there is, I feel like I, I'd rather be in Scotland right now than England. So right. I'm happy I'm up here. And what about the news? Are you watching a lot of news or reading any news? I read a bit. I used to watch it like every day, but I've just kind of switched off and zoned out a wee bit. Now I've got a bit fed up. Like I just take the just of the the main headlines and stuff because I'm not furloughed or anything. Like life's pretty much the same still for me. It's just a right. bit more. After like I've have to be a bit more precautious when I get home from work. Like clean myself down. Like go for a shower and stuff. But other than that, like that's the biggest change to me in regards to that. And do you think there's enough focus on um, workers in supermarkets and stuff like that for um, praise or just in the news in general? Um, probably, probably not. I see a lot of people like that I've worked with over the years in different stores are quite like, and I think they're having a harder time. I'm lucky I'm in a high street store, so it's much more quiet, but when you've got similarly, like your proper food specific stores, um, I know they're a bit more chaotic in terms of like busyness and stuff. Um, so I think in the grand scheme of things, it's maybe a forgotten kind of key worker. It's kind of recognised, it's more recognised than like postmen and stuff mm. and bin men and that. And other little, like other jobs as well that you wouldn't necessarily think of, but it's also not the most appreciated end, which is fair because it's also like I like you could argue like food providing is good, but it's also not saving lives at the same time. No, you could argue that. You could argue that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so you, you personally, what are you? Are you? Is there anything you're finding is getting you through it, or is there anything you're doing um, at home that's getting you through it? Um. So I was so yeah. When this started, I had my three weeks holiday off, and I was like, I guess it's this year isolation. So I took off tons of like I can play piano, so I was trying to get good at that again. Start drawing for people, which I drew for you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm needing the love. Um, <laughs> what else have we been doing? I've been reading. I started an online course in like employee management and HR kind of management, just because I know there's going to be a big deal when this is all over, and I've got my legal background as well to aid me um so no i did actually take on a lot of new hobbies and stuff but then i did buy ps4 last week and it just came yesterday so i mean they're kind of it's probably all gone out the window now that's set up but, <laughs> but still it was nice have you had any um kind of realizations or epiphanies about your life um during lockdown 
Oh, so many. Like it's, it's, it's like it's been like therapy. So I'll be like washing the dishes or something, and I'll just think of something that happened like when I was like eight or something. That's completely forgotten about. I'm like, oh my god, that like that scarred me, or that like, oh my god, that's the what that's the way I, way I am and stuff. So no, I have these random moments. I have dreams of like just being people that I've not seen in like years, like appearing them. I'm like, oh my god, whatever happened to this person? Like, I don't know. Like someone's come over me, but. I had a lot of like epiphanies and it's more just like before I didn't enjoy working in retail that much I was itching to get out especially mm-hmm. after uni but after all this I actually kind of appreciate it more and I've enjoyed throwing myself in to help where I can and mm-hmm. kind of understand why the business is doing certain things and I'm just kind of thinking I'm going to be there a bit longer than I planned so I want to try and enhance my skills as well because any skills kind of going to be beneficial in the in the long yeah. run so no it's been quite 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 deep <laughs> in a good way like I'm yeah. bad <laughs> and um what what do you miss most about normal life um <laughs> probably just going out and going getting to drink outside and stuff um like especially because of the nice way that I really wish I could go to like the medals or something or like down the front in Queensferry or something like do something mm-hmm. nice uh, and catch up it's nice catching up with friends and Zoom and stuff I don't get much of a chance because I work a lot yeah. of weekends as well so um, which is good like, and by in a sense I was always saying like every hangover I had before I was like oh this, I'm done with this life so this is kind of my chance to got a clean bill of health coming <laughs> as well so <laughs> but um i miss that miss going to see family but like i do even no i miss it but i'm not like oh i need to go and see them kind of thing mm-hmm. like because i feel like because i was been working anyway so i wouldn't have got much of a chance to normally so i feel like well i kind of missed that i've got that choice i also don't feel like it doesn't. It feels like it's never really set in that I'm locked down per se because I've I've seen everyone yeah, that I would have seen every day anyway. So yeah. And what? So just ending there. What? What advice would you give to general members of the public? Um, just now. Um, listen to Nicola Sturgeon if you live in Scotland. Um, stay home, but obviously you need to go food shopping. When you come food shopping, just listen to the instructions you're given by staff and understand that there is scary for them too and no one really wants to be outside right now but you've just kind of got to plod on and accept it and I think people need to sort of try and bend their idea of lockdown right I see that I've like a lot of people started running like recently and I'm like well you could have done that Anytime, why now? But I like, started running. <laughs> oh, sorry, but I've stopped. So <laughs> let me go for it. No, more power to you. I'm just jealous. I'm having the time. <laughs> but no, generally speaking, like, it's just that people are flogging. I, I, I do know of people I've seen on Snapchat or Instagram that I'm friends with, I guess. Um, they've been going to see f- other like people and stuff and like broadcasting it. And it's a bit frustrating because I'm like, you just wait like and it's not like they're living in a particularly volatile situation or that like do they have to escape and stuff and we can voice sympathetic in that respect but no they're just bored and want to cut about so yeah that's just what i was saying because um i interviewed ross who is a mental health worker yeah and the thing I, the, the thing i kept on trying to think was 
Um, yeah, I mean, we can say we're struggling. We're not seeing friends and family as much. But for someone that was already struggling, I mean, yeah, exactly. shouldn't be complaining too much because there's people a lot worse off. Oh, definitely. So, oh, 100%. So I'm thinking, count my blessings. I'm glad I moved home. Well, I was lucky I moved home just before all this happened. Um, so uh, so I, I'm just thankful for what I've kind of got right now. And I do feel like there's going to be a wave of like issues that come out of this, even once this is over. Like, technically, the virus is bad, but the aftermath is going to be miles worse yeah. so it's it's kind of nice to focus like if i'm not in that position well what can i do like before this started i was meant to be volunteering at citizens advice bureau and then the whole time happened like literally the week i was meant to begin again and yeah. <laughs> i was like all right but that's going to be in such high demand once this is all over like whatever yeah. life's going to be like after it's not going to be the same and people are going to struggle with that so but yeah, yeah. It's, it's good to, like people can think how to look out for others as well so Oh, you make a good point. And that's a good time to finish. So thank you very much for your time. You're welcome. I'll let you get back to your free Anytime. time. Back to <laughs> GTA on the PS4. So that's the show. I realise it's long, but you can't provide a deeper context in half an hour. I want to thank my guests, Ben Cook, Ross Murray and Johnny Thompson for their insightful and thought-provoking conversations. I'm very lucky to have friends in these key roles who are willing to help me out. I also want to thank them and all other key workers for their work during this pandemic. If you didn't go to work, we'd be without food, care and safety. I also want to thank you for watching. If you enjoyed this, please like and subscribe. It means a lot and would mean I could keep filming shows like this with your help. For more of my work, including short documentaries, articles and academia, visit gtmedia.uk and to stay up to date on all my uploads, follow gtmediauk on Instagram. So stay safe, take care and I'll see you next time for In Context.